Good morning, church family, and happy Grandparents Day to all of you who are grandparents. It's a wonderful day to be uh, with the Lord. He gave us another day, breath of life, and I'm very thankful for it. Uh, one of my granddaughters, in fact, uh, one of our families gave me a lay for uh, Grandparents Day, and a lay really fits the culture of SBCC, doesn't it? The Ohana culture of the church, and so I'm very grateful for it for my uh, grandkids. Now, as a grandparent, one of the things that I've endeavored to teach our family is out of Romans chapter 12, verse 15. And this is what the verse says. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Now, Grandparents Day is a day to rejoice, is it not? But for some families, it's also a day of mourning and perhaps weeping. It's possible that they recently lost a beloved grandparent. Or uh, perhaps there's brokenness in the family, and so families really can't get together. Grandparents are separated from grandkids, and grandkids are separated from their grandparents. There are others who uh, have children and have yet to experience uh, the joy of grandparents, or perhaps never can for one reason or another. So Grandparents Day isn't always a time of just rejoicing, but for some families, it's a time of weeping and a time of, of mourning. So as a church family, let's join our hearts together in prayer and pray for those who rejoice, but also those who weep. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so very much for your presence in our midst and for ministering to us in every, at every turn and in every experience of life. <clears throat> Father, we uh, pray now for those families who are, who are grieving the loss of a grandparent recently. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit will bring comfort to them, Lord, for he is indeed our, our, our comforter. Lord, we pray for those who have brokenness in their family, and we pray, Lord, that you will bring eventual healing so that grandparents can fellowship and love their grandkids and vice versa. Father, we pray that all the families that we know of, Lord, will come together as whole families in Christ. Thank you, Lord. And Father, we pray for those who are having difficulty because they, haven't, they, they cannot become grandparents, perhaps. And Lord, we pray that you will fill their lives, you will fill their hearts, and thank you that they will have influence on others who may not be their grandchildren, but who will be kids that they can pour their lives into. We pray that for them. Thank you, Father. We pray these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Now, last year I had the privilege of being able to share on Grandparents Day. Actually, it was a week later, and I, I preached a message on blessings, which I know each of you remember fully. Uh, I had to look it up in my notes, but I shared some thoughts about the blessings of growing old, and I shared some biblical concepts and biblical precepts, and I'm going to expand on a couple of them today for this Grandparents uh, Sunday. So let's begin by looking at some definitions of grandparents. First of all, first definition, giver of love, hugs, stories, and snacks. Similar to a parent minus the rules with a license to spoil. <laughs> Amen? Amen? Amen. Now, I always advise parents, uh, when your children go to their grandparents, let them spoil them. Don't lay out too many rules and regulations. Let the parents do as they wish. Now, grandparents, on the other hand, if, you're, if the parents or your children have a few rules they want you to abide in, stick to them. Sometimes it's like no sodas until they're five, no dating until they're 35, things like that. <laughs> Second little poster defining a grandparent. 
Grandparents create memories that the heart holds forever. I think that's one of the joys of being a grandparent. You can help create memories in the lives of your grandchildren. My wife and I, we try to sponsor vacations with our families and, uh, that, in order to create memories. Another definition, a grandparent has silver in their hair and gold in their heart. Isn't that a great definition? A lot of grandmas don't have gray hair, though. I don't know if it's by genetics or something else, but you know, one of the things that my wife did during the pandemic is she grew out her gray hair. And I've noticed that I think a lot of ladies did that because they were isolated for a year, so nobody knew that this transition was taking place. One year I told my wife, you know, and I won't mention her name, why is she frosting her roots white? She said, she's growing her gray hair out. I didn't know the difference. Here's another definition. Being a grandparent means you can be as silly as you want. Amen. 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 Now, my, um, my, wife, my daughters call grandma, silly grandma. They would have never called her silly mom because moms just aren't silly. And therein lies one of the differences between grandmas and mothers. Here's the final one. It's one I like the best. A grandparent is one who strengthens you with prayer, blesses you with love, and encourages you with hope. Isn't that a great definition for a grandparent? Isn't that a great definition for anybody who's a Christian? Amen. Amen. Grandparents included. Now, my wife and I, are blessed to be grandparents of 13 kids or 13 grandchildren. Now, last year I showed you a picture of our family circa 2019. We updated it last month. Here's a current picture of my family, children and grandchildren, uh, daughters with their husbands. This was taken on my birthday uh, in August, and that was what my wife wanted for our birthday. Uh, It's a birthday present. It's a picture of the family. Now, let me give you a perspective on parenting versus grandparenting. And I think this is an important perspective to grab a hold of. Here's a perspective on parenting. The roles, responsibility, and relationship of parents change as the child grows older, right? Child goes to the different stages of life as they grow into adults, and parents are with them that entire way. For example, a father initially is a nurturer, for the child's ages zero to five. Then he becomes a lawgiver, ages six to 12, roughly. Then a warrior, ages 12 to 18. Those are the teen years. And then spiritual mentor, hopefully, 18 years and beyond. So these are the stages that kids go through. And, and parents have to deal with all these stages, especially when the child hits puberty. And then sometimes wars happen. Difficulties transpire during that stage, and parents have to deal and walk their children through those stages of life. Now, here's a perspective on grandparenting. The role, responsibility, and relationships of grandparents stay the same throughout the child's life. It's the same from when they're 5 years old to when they're 10 years old to when they're 18 years old. There's a stability and consistency because grandparents don't have the same responsibilities and role as a parent. And that's why children usually look very favorably upon their grandparents their entire lives because the relationship never changes. Even as my grandkids are now in, into, in their 20s or beginning to get their 20s, it's the same relationship, basically. 
And that's such a privilege to be a grandparent because of that. So don't be too hard on parents. Parents have a, have a difficult task, a challenging task that the Lord undergirds and blesses. Grandparents, on the other hand, have this remarkable, remarkable relationship that they can foster and have with their grandchildren. Now, the theme verse for last year was Proverbs 17, verse 6, which says, Grandchildren are the crown of the aged. And that was the theme verse. We looked at the blessing of wearing a crown, the blessing of being renewed daily, and the blessing of being extremely valuable. And that was the message from last year. Today we will look at some Bible verses about grandparents, and we will look at the blessing of being honored and the blessing of teaching grandchildren. So I'm going to expand on two areas from last year. Now first, the blessing of being honored. Last year I shared that the elderly teach us how to respect and honor based on Leviticus 19.32, if we abide in it. You shall rise up before the gray-headed and honor the aged, and you shall revere your God, I am the Lord. So God tells us we're not supposed to marginalize the elderly, but we're supposed to honor them. Turn to Exodus chapter 20 in your Bibles or in, on your devices. This is where you find the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20. And this is what the Fifth Commandment says. Honor your father and your mother so that your days may be prolonged on the land which the Lord your God gives you. This is the fifth commandment of ten. And it's a commandment with a promise, although we're not going to look at the promise this morning. Now, the first four commandments in the Ten Commandments are vertical in nature. It's our relationship with God. The next six are horizontal in nature. It explains the relationship we're supposed to have with others. The first of the, of the lap, second six has to do with parents. And it says very distinctly, honor your parents. In fact, we'll take a look at it. Verse, the verse says, honor your father and your mother. Now, when you read that or when you see that, what do you think of? What I think of is the nuclear family. You've got mom, dad, and you've got children. Children, you're supposed to honor your parents. But a family is timeless. It's sort of cyclical. All right, you have mom and dad. They have children, and then what sometimes happens, what normally happens, children get married, and they have children. And all of a sudden, mom and dad, the original mom and dad, become grandparents. But they're still mom and dad. Hence, I think the fifth commandment applies not just to parents per se, but also grandparents, who are also parents. So the, so the fifth commandment could read, or we can add an addendum to it, that you're supposed to honor your father and mother and also your grandfather and your grandmother who are still parents. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to commend a way to you this morning, a way of honoring your grandparents. In fact, a way of honoring anybody in your family and beyond. Here's what I'm going to suggest that you do. Take time to affirm them. Take time to affirm them. Proverbs 16.24 says, Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Do you ever have a, 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 a positive, affirming word said to you and how refreshing it is? Sometimes you're maybe having a rough day, you don't feel good physically, and then somebody blesses you with some words that are positive and good. Don't you even feel better physically? Healing to the bones, refreshing to the soul. Proverbs 15, 23 says, A person has joy in an apt answer, 
And how delightful is a timely word. How delightful is a timely word. I used to tell my family, coming home from work, coming home from the office per se, you know, the first four minutes should be positive minutes for anybody returning home from, say, work or, or school. First four minutes, very important. And the first four minutes sometimes when a dad comes home is, Dad, did you know what happened? Will you do this? Will you do that? Those shouldn't be the first four minutes of a dad coming home. When a dad comes home, the first four minutes should be positive words. Hey, Dad, I'm glad you're home. You know, um, that's why my dad, when he came home, we had a dog. All right, and uh, he would honk the horn in the front yard. We let the dog out the front door, and he'd jump into the car. Bless my dad every day, because the dog had nothing negative to say. <laughs> All it does is wag its tail and, ha and be happy when somebody comes. That's why a lot of men like to be greeted by their dogs first. So remember that when your dad comes home, when mom comes home, don't make requests of them. Don't, don't complain to them in the first four minutes. Right, say something positive. Be a refreshment to their bones and to their soul. Affirmation is the act of affirming or asserting as true. Let me add to that or expand that. To affirm someone is to say positive things about someone that are true. This should happen, by the way, while they're still alive. In 42 years of ministry, I've done hundreds of funerals. In the last three years after my retirement, I've done several funerals. And each of those funerals involved a grandparent. And in each one of them, a grandchild shared a eulogy or a reflection about grandma or grandpa. It's remarkably wonderful what they say. And you can tell by the reflection how, how important grandparents are and how important that particular grandparent was to that particular grandchild. Wouldn't it be wonderful if the grandparent could hear that before they died? And I have heard in planning for a funeral or even in the aftermath of a funeral, people say this, I wish I told them this while they were still alive. Try to live a life of no regrets or very minimal regrets. And one regret that you can forestall, one regret that you can eliminate is saying words of affirmation to your loved one while they're still alive. And those of us who are grandparents, we are way beyond halfway. So I think it's even more important to say words of affirmation to us. In August, my wife and I celebrated a birthday it was, a, it, was our, it was three quarters of a century of life. My wife actually looks younger than I am, or I do, but we're the same age. When our kids were uh, like teenagers, twice I got mistaken for my, my wife's father. <laughs> you know how embarrassing that is? Oh, you have such wonderful daughters. Uh, thank you. <laughs> twice it happened, both in Asian stores. I quit going to Asian stores with my wife. Right. Actually, that's a compliment, even for me. Right. Now, during that week, I wrote a devotional on her birthday, because her birthday fell in the, in the middle. So we took the picture on a Sunday, which was my birthday. And then on Wednesday, it was her birthday. And so I asked the children, hey, can you uh, 
send me a text message affirming grandma, and then I wrote a devotional on her birthday and sent it to the family. So I write devotionals. I've been writing devotionals every day since the beginning of the pandemic, and I shared that with you last time. Right. I've continued to do it. And so they sent text messages affirming my wife, her, their grandma, along with pictures. I said, send pictures, because aren't kids all about pictures today? Yeah, and TikTok. All right, and these are some of their text messages and pictures. I added a couple of the pictures. From Avery, who's six years old. I like calling her silly grandma. She plays family with me and stick her dress up. She always loves me because she loves me all the time. Isn't that a great phrase? So I'm going to steal that phrase and use it in a sermon, which I just did. <laughs> He's, she's my favorite grandma ever, and I love her so much. Isn't that great? Now, the reason why I put this one up is you can actually teach a child how to affirm somebody at a very young age doesn't come out very long sometimes or very articulate, but they learn what it means to affirm somebody. Avery's been doing this. She's like three years old, and she's getting better at it. So you can teach your grandkids or your children at a very young age how to say words that are life-giving to people as opposed to the other way around. And they'll learn those other words in school. This is from Kayla, our oldest granddaughter. Grandma and I going to Disneyland together and riding in Splash Mountain ever since I was four. Going on rides with Grandma is extra special, and it's amazing that she's still able to do this at her age. <laughs> yeah, I, I, tell, I tell this one story, so I don't know if I told it last year. If I do, forgive me. But my wife goes on, on the roller coaster at California Venture. I can't remember what it's called, but the one that goes. Anyway, you know the takeoff point? So it takes about 10, 15 minutes for, from the time you get in line to get on to the takeoff point. So I stood at the takeoff point, and I said, I get bored really easily. So I said, I'm going to start a project here. I'm going to count how many gray-haired people there are on these trains or these roller coasters. So I just, they come along, they stop there, and I just look for a gray, and I start calling them. You know how many gray-haired people I saw before my wife came on board? Zero. <laughs> Nobody's that foolish that's older. They're like me, sensible. But my wife, I, she still rides roller coasters. Right? Three quarters of a century and still riding roller coasters. Now, the reason why I put this slide up is I think it's important for parents and grandparents to play with their grandkids. There are seven things that you do with people you are mentoring. So this is spilling over into the next portion of the message, but I thought I'd include it here. This is what I, I would do with interns that I trained as pastors and board members, these are seven things that I attempted to do. One, partake together or eat together. Two, pray together. Three, praise together. Four, ponder together. Five, plan together. Six, participate together. And five, seven, play together. I think playing is important. Play is important. God intends us to recreate. And so, and so they affirm my wife their grandma, as somebody who's playful. From Brooklyn, who attends SBCC, I love silly grandma's energy. She's always a lot of fun and does everything with positive energy. I love all the pillow fights, hikes, and getting lost, and Disney trips. You are just so much fun, and we love spending time with you. Thank you for always uplifting us with your energetic and playful spirit. We love you. 
that's how she got the reputation of silly girl. I mean, who has pillow fights when you're 70 years old? And she starts them. She really, she starts them. We go, we go visit a family, and kids, she doesn't really even know, and she starts throwing pillows at them. But she's very intentional of playing with the kids and having them play with each other, as exemplified by this next one from Cameron. I want to thank Grandma for being such a huge influence on my relationship with, my, with cousins. I wouldn't be as close to them as I am now if it wasn't for her being intentional with having us all at Atherton, that's where we live, for sleepovers or taking Seth and me, that's her brother, to the Changs and Chuangs. And when we were, <coughs> and when we were with each other, she told us always to be doing things together. Whether it be playing cards, eating, or watching a movie, it had to be together. So thank you, Grandma, for providing so many opportunities for the cuzzos. Did you know that word? Is that a word? I don't know. I think it means cousins, right? To be together and for instilling in us the importance of spending time together. That was always, that was always our goal, have the cousins spend time together. Right? And my wife did a good job of arranging that. She'd, she'd always say, can't wait till the pandemic's over. Because we're still restricted at Atkins because it's a retired complex, retired living. And we can't invite people yet who aren't totally boosted and all. And the little ones aren't boosted yet. And um, she said, can't wait to have all 13 over. I said, you do realize we live in a two-bedroom apartment. <laughs> it doesn't matter. She wants them all together. And when they're together, they don't mind being crowded. We spend vacations together. We try to sponsor at least one vacation as a family. Legacy Coalition is a group that ministers to and with grandparents. And one of the things I learned from them is that some grandparents, and we don't need to do this because we spend summers together, but some grandparents sponsor a Cousins Week. So these are usually grandparents whose grandchildren live in different areas, maybe even out of state, and they don't really know each other. And so the project is once in a while, maybe every other year, or at least once, they sponsor a Cousins Camp where they bring all the grandchildren over for a full week during the summer, and then they fellowship together. I think that's a marvelous idea, because they want their, their grandkids to get to know each other. I heard one testimony of a, of a grandparent that said when they brought them together, these two who are the same age, two girls, two grandchildren the same age, didn't get along. I mean, they hardly saw each other before. And even when they did, they really didn't get along. Well, they spent a week together at cousin's camp. At the end of the week, they said, you know, we decided we're going to go to, to the same college and room together. Isn't that a blessing? I know it's a blessing to the ears of those grandparents. They loved it. So it's one way of bringing your grandchildren together who may be geographically separated. Right. Cousins Camp. Look at the uh, Legacy Coalition website and read more about it. And then finally from Mia, who also attends SBCC. I admire how resourceful she is helped me with school projects when I was younger. How dedicated she is, pick a, example pickleball and her walks, and how faithful she is to our family and to the Lord. So she, teach, she taught her kids to be resourceful. You know when you go to Costco and buy the chicken, $4.99, that big old chicken? It looks like it's got hormones in it, but they swear it doesn't, all right? <laughs> so it's a big old chicken, right? And then you know how it's packaged? It's got that that, that thing, that sticking thing wrapped around it. Well, I, when I bring it home, I take that, that sticky tape off, or off of it, and I just throw it away. My wife said, don't, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. 
I said, well, I said, what do you want? I said, what are you going to do? She, well, she takes it. You know, it's a strip now with sticking on, sticking on both ends. And she puts it in the inside cupboard of the door of the, of the, of the cabinet. I said, what are you doing that? And I, so I opened it up, and there's like five of them hanging there. <laughs> and what she does is that when you get a, a regular paper bag from the store that doesn't have a handle, she uses that to create a handle, right? Now, that's not that useful for me because I usually discard the bag, all right? But when you think about it, God has placed us here to protect his creation. And recycling things is a way we care for God's creation. So it's really a good thing. So she taught that to our kids, our grandkids. Now, here's an insight for living. Little things are important. Little things are important. See, some people don't want to share words of affirmation because you don't have no big things to share, no earth-shattering things to share. No, what you think is significant thing to share, so you feel kind of awkward and embarrassed sharing. Little things are important. Jesus teaches us in Luke 16 the importance of little things. Now, let me share with you seven reasons why little things are important. One, little things happen every day while big things do not. Little things direct big things. Little things can destroy big things. James writes about that in James 3. Little things lead to big things. Little things make up big things. You ever go to Legoland? Those edifices they create, like the White House, made up of little things called Legos. Little things build big things. And then finally, little things are training grounds for big things. Little things are important. When I retired after 42 years of ministry, we spent about six months as a time for affirmation. I visited all the small groups. I spent time with the board, with the staff, all the different groups in our church. And the purpose of the meetings were to share affirmation, where I had a chance to affirm the people, and they had a chance to affirm me. And I wasn't looking forward to it, because it's kind of awkward for me to receive affirmation. But after a while, I really started enjoying it. You know why? Because almost inevitably, like maybe 90% of the sharing of affirmation spoken to me were about the little things over the course of 42 years of ministry. Hardly anybody mentioned the big things. It was always the little things. A word said here, a visitation at a hospital. I don't, that I don't even remember. Little things. And how important those little things were to those people. And you can share little things, and it can be very important to the one who hears it. And they won't, they'll all come to understand that the little things they did were very important to them. Praise God for that. Little things are important. Now the blessing of teaching grandchildren. The blessing of teaching grandchildren. Turn to Psalm 78, beginning with verse 4. Psalm 78. It says, we will not conceal them from their children, but tell to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wondrous works that he has done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers, that they should teach them to their children and the generation to come might know, even the children yet to be born, and they may that they may arise and tell them to their children that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandment. Now, this psalm is actually for grandparents as well as parents. Look at verse 6 again. It says, that the generation to come might know even the children yet to be born, that they may arise and tell them 
to their children. We're talking about children and great-grandchildren there. This verse speaks to children's children who then would be grandchildren. Now, there are two things that parents and grandparents should do for their children and for their grandchildren. So as a grandparent, I should be doing this with my grandkids. Two things, tell and teach. Tell and teach. Tell of the wondrous works of the Lord. Uh, just this past week, I recounted a story to my second daughter's family. We were gathered together for dinner. And I said, you know, one day the Lord healed your mother when she was a little girl, like three years old. I said, I was home for lunch. There, there were some other kids there. One of the kids slammed the door and, on, on my daughter's Sunday's finger. And the finger got cut at the first knuckle to the bone on the palm side. My wife brought her to me. She sat on, my little girl sat on my lap. And I looked at it, and I could see, I could, when I looked at it, she was crying, and I, man, I could see the bone. And it was bleeding. And so I took my clean handkerchief, and I wrapped her finger up. And then I took her to the car. I put her on my lap, and I drove to Arcadia Methodist Hospital, which was about 10 minutes away. I got to the corner of Valley Boulevard and Santa Anita Avenue. And it was a red light, and I was the first car there. I debated, should I run the red light? I decided, instead of that, I'm going to just pray. I'm going to ask the Lord, Lord, could you please make it so that Sunday doesn't lose the tip of her finger? That was my concern, that she would lose the tip of her finger. And then the light turned green, and I drove off to Arcadia Methodist Hospital emergency room. Got into the emergency room, and you know how you go to the, uh, the booth or the, the window? And they pull out that 85-page uh, admittance paper, and they go, oh, name, address, insurance card. And then finally got to the point, nature of the injury. And I said, well, she was playing with some kids, and her, she got stuck in the, her finger got stuck in the door jam, and it got cut to the bone, and the lady said, look, why don't you just show it to me? So I really didn't want to do that, but I, I, took, I took Sunday's hand, I unwrapped it, and I showed her finger to the receptionist. It wasn't even the nurse, it was a receptionist. And she looked at it, nothing. I mean, it was just a little red mark right here on her, on her uh, where, the, where the line is for her uh, upper first knuckle. It was healed, totally healed. I looked at it. You know what my first thought was? It should have been, praise the Lord. It was, now she's going to think I'm a worrywart parent. <laughs> that was my first thought. Oh, what's she going to think of me? But, but the handkerchief had blood all over it. So I know she, the nurse knew something went on, or the receptionist knew something went on. I asked for an x-ray anyway, because you're supposed to have medical proof for a healing. So they got her, I took, took an x-ray. She's perfectly fine. Took her back. To this day, I believe in miracles. I believe God can heal. So we should always pray for heal, healing and see what the Lord does. I didn't even pray for healing, really. I just said, this little Sunday lose her finger. And yet the Lord saw fit to heal it and bring faith. That, that's telling the wondrous works of God. And we're supposed to tell that to our children. And I told that because I wanted our grandchildren to hear that story of how God healed their mother. 
Then it says to teach them the commandments of the Lord. Now, we grandparents have an advantage. There's a Hasidic Jewish statement that says this, for the unlearned, age is winter. It's kind of dreary, huh? For the learned, it is a season of harvest. Isn't that wonderful? As you grow older, you see harvest because of the things God has taught you. See, at first you acquire knowledge. When you're youthful, you acquire all this knowledge. As you live life, that knowledge turns into wisdom. It turns into understanding. Job 12, 12 says, wisdom is with aged men. With long life is understanding. It's so true. And you won't know it till you get to be my age, Lord willing. So I'm going to share with you one of the key ways of teaching kids. I, I share this with people because I think this is really a great way of teaching kids, teaching grandkids, teaching anyone actually. The method of teaching is from the Shema of God found in Deuteronomy chapter 6. The Shema is a daily prayer said by Jews twice a day. And it's really a monotheistic prayer saying there is just one God. That's what God wants to get across. And then the, and then the text of it and the context of it is, is another, two, another verse. All right. Here's the actual prayer. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. Deuteronomy 6.4. Now we read the, the, the context of it. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Sound familiar? It's a great commandment from Jesus taken from the Shema. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. I'm going to just cover the first portion of it. Verse 7 says this. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. Now, what's this verse all about? It's about teaching your kids. How shall you teach them? It says you talk to them. That talk means conversation. It doesn't mean getting up and lecturing them, giving a didactic teaching, although you could do that. Rather, you're supposed to have a conversation with them. Well, when does this conversation take place? It says... When you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. What does that sound like? All day long. So the way we're supposed to teach our children and our grandchildren is as we live life, we look for things that happen, and then we teach them about God. I call it teachable moments. Teachable moment is an event or experience where it presents a good opportunity for learning something about a particular aspect of life. That's a teachable moment. A teachable moment method of faith building instructs our children about God in a way that captures their attention, their imagination, their thinking, and changes their lives. That's a teachable moment. There's three ingredients to a teachable moment. One, an open relationship between grandparent and child. Got to have a relationship. Got to be able to converse. Two, an event or object that illustrates a spiritual point. Three, a biblical truth from the Word of God relating to the event or object. Three things. A relationship, an object or an event, and then something from the Word of God so that they will learn about God and love Him more dearly. And so what you do with your children or your grandkid or grandchildren is look for teachable moments. 
and then teach them. I did a wedding for my neighbor, a young, a young man who uh, was our neighbor throughout his life. I, in fact, I met him when he was five years old. He was our next door neighbor. I helped him with uh, the wedding. I did the homily for his wedding. We were waiting for the wedding to start, and he pulled me aside and said, Mr. Ishida, I, I've never had the opportunity to thank you for driving us to school when we were in high school. So I drove two to three times a week, drove the, uh, my kids and their family to high school. And he said, I want to thank you because I knew every time you drove, I looked forward to it because I knew I was going to learn something about God. I said, well, praise God, man. I mean, he actually listened. And he's an elder in his church today. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. And we were at Disneyland um, one evening, and we made reservations at Orleans Cafe. This is what it looks like. We liked the uh, Monte Cristo sandwiches there. So some of the older grandchildren and I went there first to get the seat, and then my wife was coming with the younger kids. So not all of them were there, but the older grandkids were with me. Well, the reservation side of Ordine's Cafe looks like this. I want you to take a look at the, the, the poles that are by the door. See the poles? All right, remember those poles. Well, we got there, we were waiting for our residents, about 20 minutes or so, and then we said, okay, we just stood there and waited around. Because at Disneyland, what do you do? You rest someplace to wait. By the way, that teaches you patience. I became a much more patient man when we started taking our kids to Disneyland. <laughs> All right. So while we were standing there, a normal girl, about 10 years old, came out screaming. Right where the entry is, she just dropped to the ground, flat, started flailing and was yelling and screaming, and her mother was right behind her. The mother tried to get her up, but something, I couldn't tell what was going on, but they were saying things to each other. And the mother basically was trying to cajole her out of the park. And she was, the little girl was upset about something, and she was just screaming at the top of her lungs. Her mother finally got her up, and the, the, and the girl escaped her mother's grasp and clung on to one of those poles and held on to the pole and won't let go. The mother kept trying to cajole her to leave, so she got her off of one pole, the girl went to the second pole, <laughs> kind of working her way out of the park. And, um, and so she was, and then we heard the mother say this, I heard the mother say this, if you don't come right now, I am never bringing you back to Disneyland. And then the girls just kept, kept screaming and, and yelling and, and having a bit of a tantrum there. Well, eventually the mother kind of left. She was just about maybe 15 feet away. And then I think the grandma came by and said something to the child. The child settled down a little bit, and eventually they left. I assume they left the park. I thought to myself, this is a teachable moment, right? An event, a rather dramatic event. So I gathered the grandkids together, and I decided I'm going to try to teach them two truths about God or from God's word. All right, I want to take, I'm going to give you 10 seconds. What could you teach your grandchild or child in that moment? Ten seconds is a long time, huh? And that was 10 seconds, all right? All right this is what I, I, I said to my grandkids that were gathered with me. I said, you know... Aren't you glad that your parents did what the Bible said and disciplined you so that you would behave properly and 
public. They go, yeah. yeah. I said, and you know the Bible says that a person who is not rebuked, a person who isn't, a child who is not disciplined will eventually bring shame to their mother. And this is actually the Bible verse that I was paraphrasing. Proverbs 29:15. The rod and the a rebuke give wisdom, but a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. I said, and I told him, do you think that Bible verse is true? And I said, yeah, yeah. Oh, I would not, I, my criteria for taking a grandchild by myself to Disneyland was they had to obey two commands. Stop and come here. Once they could obey those two commands at my voice, then I would take them to Disneyland. Because I didn't want to have to chase my grandkids around Disneyland or put them on a leash. Have you seen those leashes? Now, sometimes you have to because of the, what's going on with the child. But you should be able to command your children by voice to say, stop, come here, please. Right. And then, so they, they were very glad. You see, your parents raised you according to the word of God. They disciplined you. They let you know what is good behavior and what is not good behavior. Aren't you glad that your parents love Jesus and are obeying his word? Yeah. Yes. Second question I asked him is, did you hear what the mother said to her daughter about never coming back to Disneyland if she didn't come right now? And they said, yes. I asked him, well, did the little girl obey? They said, no. I said, um, do you think the mother will ever bring her back to Disneyland again? And they said, yes. <laughs> right? So then I taught them what the Bible says. You know, you know what Jesus says is, our yes should be yes, and our no should be no. And we shouldn't have to make a vow. Yes is yes, and no is no. So you should go through life making sure your yes is a yes, and your no is a no. So before you say yes or no, make sure you consider what you're saying. Otherwise, you're just going to give empty threats or empty promises. And Jesus wants to deliver us to deliver on what we say. Two biblical truths in one teachable moment. And I, I think it had an impact. In fact, I asked my oldest granddaughter yesterday. I told her what I was going to say here. And I said, do you remember this? She goes, yeah. She's To this day, she's in her early 20s. To this day, she remembers that event. And she remembers what was taught at that event. And so when she has children, Lord willing, she's going to discipline them. Right? And her yes will be yes, and her no will be no. That's a very important principle for parenting. Your yes needs to be yes, and your no needs to be no. And your children have to have confidence that when you say yes, it's a real yes. And when you say no, it's a real no. Now, we had a teachable moment last week. I loved it. I love watching it. Last week, we were privileged to witness the dedication of Isabella Hong. For those of you in that service, you remember the dedication? I was second service. Uh, parents Ju Justin and Julie um, dedicated Isabella and Pastor Greg was the one who did the dedication. What a great event. And this is a teachable moment. So if I were with my grandchildren, this is what I would say. Did you know that God has no grandchildren? What do you suppose that means? Now, one of the ways Jesus taught was by asking questions. It's a rabbinic form of teaching. So rabbis did this all the time. Maybe two or three hundred times Jesus asked a question of people. 
Sometimes they would ask a question of him, and he will respond with a question. This is one way you can teach your children and grandchildren. When they ask a question, sometimes the best way of teaching is ask them a question back relating to that same subject and let them think about it. So I'd say, I would ask, I would say to them, um, what do you suppose that means? Do you remember what Pastor Greg said about Isabella not being a Christian just because her parents are Christian? That's what Pastor Greg shared. See, Justin and Julia are God's children, but that doesn't make Isabella God's grandchild. Why? Well, Isabella's got to come to know Jesus on her own. Pastor Greg said that too. Because God has no grandchildren. He only has children. God is not a grandfather. He is a father. And just because mom, your mommy and daddy are Christians and bring you to church every Sunday, it doesn't make you a Christian. Being in church doesn't make you a Christian any more than being in a garage makes you a car. Or being in a pharmacy makes you a pharmacist. It doesn't work that way. God has no grandchildren. He only has children. And that's what we should desire to become, one of his children. So you may be here, invited by your grandkids. You may be here and you've come every Sunday, if you're not a grandparent. And your parents have brought you. You may be a young person. You've been coming to church every Sunday because of your parents. And you're sitting there thinking, well, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian. Well, unless you've confessed your faith in Jesus, you are not. Because God has no grandchildren, only children. See, God's a holy God. And for us to be in his presence for all eternity, our sin has to be dealt with. Because sin cannot come into the presence of pure holiness. And so the only way that happens is through Jesus. Because he came to the earth for one purpose, to die for our sins. He took our sins and put it on himself. And then he died so that, that our sins can be forgiven. And then he rose from the grave showing that he was indeed God and could deliver on the promise of delivering us from sin. And what the Bible says it takes for us to, to assume that from Christ to have our sins forgiven so we can come into the presence of God for all eternity is a confession of faith. If you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the grave, what does the Bible say? You will be saved. It's not because of what you've done. It's not because of what you're going to do or not do. It's not because you have enough brown or credits stored up coming to church. It's because Jesus died on the cross and wiped away your sins, that you can come into the presence of a holy God for all eternity. So if you believe all the things you've been hearing, what you heard this morning, if you believe that Jesus is God's son, that he died for your sins, that he rose from the grave, you're a perfect candidate for salvation through a confession of faith with your lips. Sometimes you think, well, it's got to be more. Jesus did the more already. He went to the cross to die. Our responsibility is just to receive it. And then we spend all eternity with the Lord. And a remarkable gift, and that's what it's called, a gift of grace, meaning it's undeserved. Praise God for that. Now what I'd like to do as we close is to offer anyone who has never confessed to Jesus as Savior and Lord. You may have been coming to church all your life, and this is the day you're going to become a child of God. And he's going to become your father because he's never going to be your grandfather. Would you do that? 
Then afterwards, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if you did, all right, so that you can, you can make a public profession. And we're going to keep the lights on. Okay, guys? Let's pray. If you've never asked Jesus to be your Savior and Lord, would you repeat this prayer after me, making it your own? God will hear it, and God guarantees he will honor it. This is the prayer to say in your heart and mind. Dear Jesus, I believe you are God's son, that you died on a cross for my sins, that you rose from the grave. I am a sinner. I have made mistakes. I confess my sins to you, and I ask you into my life as my Savior and Lord. And I will follow you to the best of my ability all the days of my life. Now, if you close off that prayer with an amen. And with all heads bowed and eyes closed, with the exception of our pastors, if you prayed that prayer with me this morning, would you raise your hand? Raise it at home. Raise it if you're outside. Raise it if you're in the overflow room. Please raise your hand. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Anybody else? Raise your hand and raise it high. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord Jesus, we pray for these five, six, or even more who have confessed their faith in Jesus for the first time or renewed and rededicated their lives. Father, we pray now that your Holy Spirit will fill them, will walk with them, and help us as a church family to help them grow in Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We give you praise and honor. We thank you and rejoice with the grandparents that are here today. We pray for all families, Lord, that are represented and within hearing of this message. Bless the families, Lord. Bless each individual. Thank you. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, if you raised your hand and you confessed your faith, please tell somebody today. And make your way to the next steps table. We have a gift we'd like to give you that'll get you started on your walk with the Lord. There's some things in there that'll be very helpful. We'd also like to have information from you, your contact info, so that we can also get together with you and help you grow in Jesus. God bless.